Hello, hello. Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. You can hear us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org. We also do a show in front of an audience once a month at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue between Hoyt and Bond. Our next one is July 6, 8 p.m. And doors will open at 7.30 p.m. And our special guest will be none other than Carl Diggler, a.k.a. The Dig, chief political columnist at Cafe.com, Beltway Insider for 30 years, father, host of the DigCast. You may know the Dig from his website, 638, which is where you can find honest and accurate political forecasting driven by gut instinct and racial science. Or you may also know him as being the alter ego of Felix Biederman of the Chapo Trap House podcast. Catch up on all our old episodes at SoundCloud and iTunes. Follow us, rate us, give us some reviews, give us some stars, give us some love. See you next Wednesday, July 6th on the radio at 6 p.m. and then live in person at 8 p.m. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. If it's Wednesday and it's between 6 and 7, sometime between those two <laughs> hours. That golden window of time. That golden window of time and opportunity. You will hear on WBAI on 99.5 FM or WBAI.org or later when you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, you will hear the Katie Helper Show. And I'm your host, Katie Helper. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, What's up, everybody? It's me. It's Gabe Pacheco. I got a belly full of gazpacho, and I'm ready to go. A belly full of gazpacho. Gazpacho Gabe. That's wow. right. It's like a salty smoothie. Smoothie. Ooh, uh, I like soup. it. Soup. Like a savory smoothie. It's like a savory smoothie. I you got, love gazpacho. It's the right time of the year to have one. It you know? is. We're just a couple days away from July, and uh, it's hot. It's no hot. need to wait. No July. need to wait. It's not an etiquette. It's not like you can't, you know, drink gazpacho before july is it is there like a labor day white pants yeah rule? there you know if there isn't a rule there should be there a should rule. be yeah yeah because i'm all about it. i'm all about uh making rules and then breaking, breaking rules. rules boom let's do a little fist bump too bad we're gonna get video in here soon you could have seen that we're gonna talk to ronya Kalik. we're so excited to talk to oh, Rania. love Rania Rania? Kalik. She did one of our i don't know if i want to call it studio audience that implies there's a studio but she did one of our shows in front of an audience that we do at the brooklyn commons at 388 atlantic avenue yes uh we are doing one next wednesday but it's always free and it's at 7 30 at 388 atlantic at the brooklyn commons Rania did one, our show last month with the uh trapo trap house boys that was really fun she's a journalist at the electronic intifada she's written all over at vice at nation Rania, you're here Rania, welcome i am there what's Hi. up how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Okay. Rania, for reals, though, thank yes. you for coming. Um, yeah. You have uh, been writing a lot, and you really have your, your teeth sunk. Do you say that your teeth sunken into? She's definitely gnawing on she's, she's a topic. Biting. She's biting a topic, <laughs> yeah, which is um, the Democrat. I've, like, left nothing. There's no meat left on it. It's just bone by this, at this it's point. It's bone. It's pure it bone. So yeah, L- like nothing. a pit bull. Like your journalistic. Rania is a pit bull for the truth. <laughs> Yeah. No, just keep going, Gabe. Gabe, Gabe got upset. I like I, to think I'm fierce. No, Gabe. I did. I got so shook and upset because I was in the middle of calling you a pit bull with your jaw locked on a juicy topic, and then Katie swooped in and stepped on it. But you know what? With we're we're pit, getting over it. With my pit bull, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Hoof? What do dogs have? They Claw? Have... Pause. Pause. Thank you. <laughs> Reggie is shaking his head in disgust. I'm going to pretend it's an amusement because, okay, so... 
Rania, you've been writing a lot about the Democratic Platform Committee. And Mm -hmm. for folks who don't know, what's going on right now is that the DNC is basically banging out its uh, platform. And the process began in St. Louis last Friday. It's only one-third complete. Next stop is Orlando and then Philly. And five delegates were named by Sanders to draft the platform. And the Clinton campaign named six members. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz, excuse me, the chair of the DNC, added four more. Um, Of course, that means that Clinton added four more, right? Yes, yeah, essentially. Essentially. And just to give some bios of who's on this committee, just to give you guys a sense, uh, the drafting committee chair is U.S. Rep. Elijah Cummings. The members include Carol Browner, who's the former EPA administrator, U.S. Rep. Keith Ellison, who's a Democrat from Minnesota, U.S. Rep. Luis Gutierrez from Illinois, who's a Democrat, Uh, Barbara Lee, the Democrat from uh, California, she's awesome, Then we also have Bill McKibben, the author and environmentalist, uh, Bonnie Schaefer, who is a business owner, Ambassador Wendy Sherman, and Neera Tandon, our good, good friend from the Center for American Progress, (laughs) Dr. Cornell West, our good, good friend for real, um, and James Zogby, the founder of the Arab American Institute. So I've been writing a lot about it from the Israel-Palestine angle, but I've also been watching the hearings, and um, they have been incredibly... uh, amusing mm-hmm. and somewhat entertaining in a, like a political theater sort of way because what you have is you have five Sanders appointees that you just described who are all, um, I mean, they're not necessarily, you know, some of them are establishment people, I guess you could say, because they're Congress people, but at the same time, they're all involved and in, they're all somehow connected to grassroots in some way. Um, they all kind of come out of grassroots organizing. And you've got Clinton and DNC appointees who are a mix. I mean, there's a couple who are decent, like Barbara Lee, but then it's mostly elite Democrats and corporate lobbyists like Wendy Sherman, who's a lobbyist for Madeleine Albright's consulting firm. That basically um, uses, you know, its influence to help its corporate clients um, get connections to, like, various foreign regimes to, you know, to push whatever legislation or policies they want. So really great work that they do. Right. Um, and um, also the, you know, the Carol Browner is also another one who works with that same actual lobbying group, the, the, the Madeleine Albright's group as well. So, yeah, I mean, you've got these, so you've got two sides that come from, you know, that are very, very different ideologically and, and even in like their sort of day-to-day jobs um, going at it on really important policy issues. And so watching these, these hearings has been interesting just because you see them butting heads over, um, you know, one side is just like super uh, corporate and super willing to um, ruin the to planet. sell out on basically right. really important things on the platform. Yeah, and the planet. And then the other I mean, side made up planet, yeah. of people like Bill McKibben, the environmental right. activist, like urging them on climate change, and then they won't even pass like a carbon tax. You right. know, they keep so like they kept defeating all these really important measures. Uh, In fact, we that have were actually kind, I've, of kind of shocking to watch. Well, I've gathered some the good, the bad, and the ugly of the uh, ah, I like that. that's good right of the platform committee so the good is that there was a unanimous vote against the death penalty so that was one of the things where the clinton people actually tried to defeat it Aww. but they actually didn't have the numbers they Aww. didn't have the numbers because you know clinton hillary clinton is for the death penalty she well, says she, she right. says she's for the death penalty because of terrorism or right, something and just federal cases uh, is, her, is her line yeah. right so like it, what you could tell was happening was that the clinton people were trying to sabotage anything from becoming more progressive that hillary clinton was op- openly against right and so they tried to come out against that but they didn't have the numbers 
so um, Elijah Cummings, even though there were more people, like even though a majority voted to oppose the death penalty in the platform, he tabled that issue. And then the Sanders people raised such like a stink about it that they they were forced and shamed oh, okay. on like social media into eventually passing it because everybody, so many people were watching. It was at the beginning right. of the. Um, nine hour long right <laughs> nine hour long hearing right i mean yeah it's just the death penalty it's like i don't know it's not that big of a deal it's like life and death it's racist yeah, like to kill innocent people it's also just barbaric in principle gabe's, gabe's getting <laughs> yeah so that was the good so we have the good is the, the vote against the death penalty we have the bad which are the amendments against the trans-pacific um uh which is which is Partner. yeah the amendments against the trans-pacific partnership trade agreement, um, the amendment for $15 minimum wage, and the backing of Medicare for All. All of these great things failed uh, with Clinton mm-hmm. delegates voting against them. And then the ugly, if you will, of the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugly is um, the particular unwillingness, and you refer to this, Rania, to change around mm-hmm. climate issues. So they voted against the carbon tax 7 to 6. They voted down a ban on fracking 7 to 6. They uh, 7 to 6 voted against effort to keep fossil fuels in the ground, at least on federal land. And they voted down a measure to mandate that federal agencies weigh in on weigh the climate impact of their decisions. And they voted against a plan to keep fossil fuel companies from taking private land by eminent domain. So great mm-hmm. stuff. But at the end of the day, they reached a unanimous consent on more bike paths. So that's great for all the people who live <laughs> in uh, all you hipsters out there. You won. This is your day. You wrote a great piece in Electronic Intifada. Democrats try to bury Palestine in the middle of the night. We have some, some sound clips that we want to play. But we hear a little discussion between James Zogby, uh, who is one of Bernie Sanders' uh, appointees. And James Zogby is, you know, the Zogby, like the polling? That is James Zogby of the polling of the polling industry. <laughs> That's him. That's him. Um, and he's also been involved in the DNC, and he also is a, at the Arab American Institute. He's just an all-around really smart dude. One of his issues is trying to have Palestinians have human rights, but that's not his only issue. Right. We get a great, great exchange between him and Bonnie Schaefer. The DNC appointee. Oh, she's, she's co- former co-CEO of Claire's Stores, you know, the preteen jewelry store, oh, which I lo- is a clear yeah. qualification. Oh, my God. Platform. That's actually, I like Claire's. Hey, Bonnie, no, if you're, if, if you're listening, why, mail me in like, some why, dangling I don't, earrings. It's confusing that she's on the platform committee, but sure, okay. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I know, it's not the, the best qualification, but whatever. Um, so we're going to play that clip. Reggie, you got it? Okay. The term occupation shouldn't be controversial. George Bush said that there was an occupation. Ariel Sharon said there was an occupation. Barack Obama has said there was an occupation. There is an occupation. It denies people freedom. And Bonnie Schaefer. As a gay Jew, uh, Zionist, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, as we all know, the only place in the Middle East that I can walk down the street with my wife, hand in hand, and uh, not be afraid. You can go and walk down the street of Tel Aviv holding the hand of your wife. I can't get in the airport without seven hours of harassment because I'm of Arab descent. I'm not even Palestinian. I'm Lebanese American. The treatment of people of Arab descent just going there is discriminatory. The people who live there suffer horrific discrimination. We have to be able to call it what it is. It's an occupation that humiliates people, that breeds contempt, that breeds anger and despair and hopelessness, that leads to violence. In in 1988, when we called for mutual recognition, we could not get that done. 
We couldn't even get the word Palestinians in the platform. We're asking to move beyond this now. Reality has moved way beyond just recognizing they're there. It's hearing their voices, understanding their pain, saying that our Democratic Party understands that this is a conflict that must be resolved by Time. respecting the rights of both peoples. Time. I thank you. So, Rania, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that are, are that is not a conversation <laughs> that you ever hear happening at a table like that right. in a public forum, even though it was in the middle of the night. Right. <laughs> uh, Progress, and that's what's step. striking about that is that these are like these are Democrats. This is something that those are the kinds of statements that you that only get said to high level Democrats at protests. Like you don't hear that in the in you know in places of power. And so I think that that like that that right there is just like a significant demonstration of how that things like have momentum on this issue is moving uh, at a dramatic pace, like it's inched its way up to the top. I mean, it's it's come from the bottom, but it's inched its way up to the top so that you've got someone like Zogby who's able to say that in you know at a table of high level Democrats um, in a public forum where people are watching. My, my favorite part of that exchange is um, Bonnie Schaefer's very woke, intersectional, um, and respectful of human rights statement about how she can, as a lesbian uh, Jewish Zionist, she can walk down the streets, and that those are her words, lesbian, uh, sorry, gay Jewish Zionist. Um, she can walk down the streets holding the hand of her wife and feel safe. Uh, in Israel. It's the only place in the Middle East she can do that. And what I love about that is um, it shows such a head up your own rear-endedness that is kind of admirable, kind of scary. Uh, she's talking to, to people about the Israeli occupation, and her pitch is basically it's LGBT friendly for Jews. Um, it's not friendly at all for Palestinians or Arabs or people of Arab descent, as Zogby pointed out. <laughs> it was kind of amazing to hear him be like, I'm so, that's wonderful. And he's not a homophobe. I'm sure he's appreciative that no. this woman has the freedom to walk with her wife. Um, but that's great. You get to do that as a Jew. You get to hold hands with your wife. I can't even get through the airport without. Can a gay Arab hold hands in Tel Aviv? I don't know. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, is that, you know, there's a couple things about what she did say, and that is, one, that's a common, like, pro-Israel talking point. It's something that's called, they, we call it pinkwashing, mm. which is basically trying to present Israel as this, you know, this, this um, haven for LGBT people, um, so, like, just don't pay attention to the occupation, because it's good for gays. Uh, and... And the problem with that is that not only, like you mentioned, okay, like what about, you know, what about gay Arabs, because they exist too, is actually what Israel does to LGBT Palestinians, um, is they blackmail them on the occupied territories. They blackmail them into being informants or else they will out them. Um, that is something that happens. It's very, very common. And so, you know, not only do, you know, not only are we talking about Palestinians with no rights, but we're talking about, you know, LGBT Palestinians are actually extremely vulnerable because of Israel and its conduct. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, that, sounds you know that? Like, yeah. that sounds like that sounds like Hoover era FBI tactics. Yeah. I, li I like that's yeah, very clever. That. That's <laughs> a very <laughs> insidious way of getting snitches on your team. Just find find the gays and be like, sorry, we're gonna out you guys. We're gonna take you out of your your closets if you don't snitch. Right. On huh. the Hamas guys. It is funny because, I mean, I had no idea about that. Um, I knew about the pinkwashing. I didn't know that term, but I know that it's often invoked as a talking point. Like, you know what, guys? 
guess what? You want to go out to a gay bar? Fab- <laughs> have a fabulous time? Come to Israel. Can you say that about... Now, it's interesting that it's mutually exclusive uh, with the way that they're cleaving the issues into saying that, well, the only way that we can have this LGBTQ (laughs) utopia is if we uh, have a colonial uh, and fascist (laughs) arrangement with the uh, uh, Arabs, the Mohammedans that are on the other side of the bank. You know what they say behind every great gay nightlife scene is the oppression and colonization of... uh, of another people. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it yeah. Just... Like, let's, it's, it's actually funny. It's like, let's be gay and eat vegan food. Um, and it's only possible because Palestinians are in occupation. Like, yes. that's like, that's like the message. Yeah. It's like, is that it's funny. Let, let's go to a nightclub and the, <laughs> then the floor that we dance on will be the backs of Palestinians who will be lying on the floor. Uh, they will be our <laughs> It's dance. environmentally friendly that way. Yeah, exactly. I, I like this idea of like an imperial, imperial uh, pride parade. Yeah, me too. Where they're carried. <laughs> Like with Israelis, are, they're just carried on. Uh, what are those things that kings and queens use? You know, like what are the things? I know what you're talking, you know what I'm talking about. about. It's like a name. stretcher, but royalty. Yes. Yeah, you know. Anyway, but um, chariot. Kind of like a human-made chariot, a chariot made of Palestinians as the as the wheels. Um, yeah, totally. It's a good image, right? But it is kind of absurd <laughs> that like how how self-absorbed you have to be to think that your own ability to um hold someone's hand which is true i mean that's a good thing and that's a right but like that you say that and you're kind of discounting the lack of much more basic civil rights and human rights that palestinians are having and you say it to a man who's an arab american uh who's talking about the plight of palestinians you know i mean it's it's really it's striking i don't know like i can't tell you what's going on in bonnie schaefer's head um, maybe she's never, maybe she doesn't know very many Palestinians and maybe she has no idea about the treatment of Arabs when they go to the airport. I have no idea, but you know, what I do, you know, what I do notice is that with people that I have like argued with and I do, you know, I kind of have a better understanding of what's going on in their minds when they say those kinds of things is they genuinely believe that like they need Israel. They need Israel to be an exclusivist, like Jewish majority state. And in order for Israel to be a Jewish majority state, you know, it has to it has to deny rights to the vast millions of people um, who live in its vicinity that aren't Jewish, and it has to commit to really aggressive acts of violence. I mean, any I mean, if you you know, just demographic wise, if you want to be the you know, if you want to dominate a demographic like right. that, you have to commit acts of violence, and so it's that's how it's sort of like. That's how it's, it's justified, is like we have to have the state because Jews have been persecuted for so long. And it's just really striking when it comes from people like Bonnie Schaefer because, I mean, she's like a multimillionaire right. who's got probably several homes in America, which is great for her, you right. know, like she great. She has like a very successful company, them. but at the same time, there are refugees who have no homes. Right. <laughs> and, you're, and you're saying they can't have any, you know, they still can't go back to their homes because you need an extra one? Like, that doesn't seem very fair. Come for the gay pride parades. Uh, stay for the housing demolition. Um, Israel, I just gave that to you. You're welcome. Your new uh, Yeah, PR. bumper sticker. Bumper no, sticker bumper material sticker. right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, it's funny because uh, I'm, I'm uh, newsflash, uh, Bonnie Schaefer, guess who couldn't get married in Israel? That would be you or anyone who doesn't want to use an Orthodox rabbi, which I find hilarious because this is a secular state and you actually can't even get married through with a, a conservative rabbi. You need an Orthodox rabbi. So you have Israeli Jews who go to like Cyprus or Rome to get married. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like that you can't even get married there. It's also I mean, 
It's like Israel is also, when we talk about is it really safe to be in the streets of Tel Aviv, I mean, sure, there's just like it is it's safe probably to be in a certain certain American cities, but you still have, like, homophobia in Israel just like any right, other place. Right. Like, last year at the, I think the last year at the Gay Pride Parade, I think it was, um, there was, like, a stabbing yeah. by, like, a, a homophobe. A homophobe went stabbing gay people and killed, like, a 16-year-old girl at a parade. So... I mean, it's, you know, but again, even if it was, even if Israel was this perfect, like, utopia for the LGBT community, that's wonderful, but that, you know, you can't, you can't sell it that way and then be okay with that if it's predicated on, like, occupying an entire people. Like, right. if that's the argument. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, it was just the, to me, it just, I couldn't believe how unaware she was, like, how privileged and out of touch she was. Um, but yes, as you as you alluded to, uh, Rania, there was a stabbing at a Jerusalem gay pride parade by an ultra orthodox Jewish man. So I'm assuming that Bonnie Schaefer didn't go into any super ortho neighborhoods uh, holding the hand of her wife unless uh, one of them was wearing payas and a beard. Um, too soon, right? Um, but I want to play an another. I'm oh, good. No, thank you. But oh, what? So, what is Zogby actually trying? What is the the thing that they're trying to accomplish? By the way, vis-a-vis -vis the the Palestinian people. So they um, they introduced an amendment that Bernie Sanders direct had direct um, had directly like uh, approved mm -hmm. and actually put in things about. Um, so the amendment was to the language in the current draft of the platform, which is not actually available, but Zogby, like, read it out loud. Um, but they wanted to amend the language to basically call for an end to Israel's occupation and an end to Israel's settlements, illegal settlements. Um, nothing really that radical. I mean, those are actually, like, part of American policy in terms of rhetoric. I mean, I, maybe not in terms of actions, but mm. in terms of rhetoric. So that's actually not anything radical. Another part was they wanted um, to add a sentence about uh, calling for like the rebuilding of Gaza, which is going to, which you know, the UN has estimated will be un uninhabitable by 2020. So that's in like three and a half years. Um, so they called for rebuilding Gaza, and then they also wanted to remove. Interestingly enough, and this is coming from again, like Bernie Sanders approved this, they wanted to remove language in the current draft that actually um, expresses like opposition directly to the boycott divestment and sanctions movement wow. as well as the UN and it says it expresses opposition to delegitimization of Israel and they wanted to remove the part that says at the UN or through the boycott divestment and sanctions movement so um, that was a pretty big deal which was kind of cool um, and yeah, those, I mean, those were the, oh, and also they wanted to take out, like, that calling Jerusalem the undivided capital of Israel. So that's it. I mean, that's it. Those right. aren't that radical. It's not like they were, like, calling for, like, you know, all Palestine, you know, they weren't calling for, like, a restoration of, like, pre-48 Palestine, you know? It was, like, pretty basic stuff that's been a part of um, what U.S. administrations have called for since they endorsed the two-state solution. Right. So... That's all. And so the opposition to it was just like overdramatic. And <laughs> in fact, we can, um, we can play a little bit of that opposition. We have um, Cindy Sherman, who says something. Wendy. Oh, Wendy Sherman. But I love that you called her Cindy. Oh, my God. Yeah. She just looks like a Cindy to me. Um, uh, <laughs> Wendy Sherman is going to talk and then Cornell West is going to talk in this clip. And we hear them discuss the delegitimization of Israel. 
If, in fact, there is a delegitimization of Israel through BDS or through the UN, this is not a good thing. You know, the great rabbi Joshua Hesher used to say, indifference to evil is more evil than even it's evil itself. And it seems to me if we don't have the courage to tell the truth, the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. It is an occupation. Occupation is evil. When the IDF kills innocent people, over 500 babies in 51 days, no matter how many shields they say the Hamas uses, wrong, wrong, from a moral and spiritual point of view. All we're trying to say is, Democratic Party must tell the truth. We can never fully respect the Palestinians unless we can name what they're up against, the boot on their necks. I come from a people who've been hated. And it's slavery, no, you got a race problem. It's not a race problem, it's slavery. Oh, another, oh no, we got a race problem, it's Jim Crow. No, it's discrimination. It's not discrimination. It's terrorizing black people. When would America tell the truth about the boot on our necks? That's all we're saying. Occupation is evil. How do we procure the security of our precious Jewish brothers and sisters? Tell the truth about the terror coming at them, but then they occupy a people. We must tell the truth about what that structure is. It's not disputed territories. This is not a diplomatic end to name. It's occupied territories. It's been set by every nation with the exception of the Democratic Party, because our presidents have said it. That's all we're calling for. Nothing radical, but the truth. And it seems to me, if we can't meet that test, lo and behold, how are we going to deal with this ugly situation with precious folk on both sides? And that, of course, was Cornell West um, and Wendy Sherman. Wendy Sherman is worried about the delegitimization of Israel through the UN. Um, and maybe she's right to be worried, because just today, guys, just today, that radical um, Hamas member, Jew-hating guy known as the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon of the UN, <laughs> um, criticized the Israeli blockade of the Gaza Strip. Uh, he spoke during a visit to the region uh, where he met with Palestinian and Israeli leaders, and he said, the closure of Gaza suffocates its people, stifles its economy, and impedes, the reconstruction, impedes reconstruction efforts. It is a collective punishment for which there must be accountability, end quote. Um, so... That is something that, yeah, is being said, and I guess to some people that that statement of fact is offensive, or I actually think that it, they don't deny, well, it's not good PR to say it's collective punishment, but I think that some of the people who defend the Israeli government are glad it's collective punishment. That's not like a byproduct. That's one of the goals. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. That is a, that's like a part of written policy. It's not, you know, and in the Israeli government, if anything, I got to say, like, I got to give a shout out to the Israeli government, because they're really our best proponents when it comes to um, trying to trying to make the case for for, you know, Palestinian rights, because it's the Israeli government is full of people at senior levels who are just like far right proto fascists. Mm is the best way I can put it. And they openly call for not just, I mean, collective punishment's like a, probably like a dovish thing to say. Right. I mean, there's, there's Israeli leaders who've openly called for genocide at this point. The Israeli justice, justice minister did exactly that during the bombing of Gaza. Um, you know, you've got Israeli, you know, the Israeli culture minister, Miri Regev, called Africans a cancer. And then, and then she, uh, there was such a backlash, she apologized not to Africans, but to cancer survivors for comparing them to Africans. Oh, like, these my. are the kinds of people who are running the Israeli government at the moment. And so it's just, that's what's really, that's what's really um, hard, the, the disconnect. I mean, you've got 
if you watch these committee hearings with Democrats, there's a lot of talk. I mean, a part of the Democratic platform that's changed is calling for the end of mass incarceration, acknowledging you know, systemic and structural racism and like opposing it. And you think like, you know, acknowledging the oppression of Native Americans and like wanting to do something to help and fix that. Um, so like the, you know, these are things that people were talking about throughout the day. And then you get to Israel, which is literally run by people who talk like, like Donald Trump and then worse than Donald Trump. And suddenly there's lockstep support for Israel for this place that's run by people like Trump um, from people who all day were denouncing racism. And it's just so, the disconnect is just like, it's jarring. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, that there's that term um, progressive except on Palestine, PEP, um, <laughs> which I think describes well, I think that, that yeah. I gotta say, I think that that notion is changing. I mean, someone like, you know, like Bernie Sanders is an actual progressive. Right, of course. And just seeing, you know, like how he's moved so far, at least in his rhetoric on the issue of Palestine and even making it like a part of the platform this way. Um, is a huge deal, and I think I think just demonstrates like a, a, a coming like death of the of the you know progressive except for Palestine, and you know for the Clinton people um, or the people that she appointed, uh, and the you know the people who kind of run the DNC. It's I wouldn't really call them progressive on most things, so I guess it makes sense in that. Sure, respect. no, that that's fair. I think that that in the outside of the kind of official DNC, though, and you're right in that I would never call Debbie uh, Wasserman Schultz. Uh, Schultz Wasserman, uh, progressive, but I think you know there are certain people who who I know personally who are I agree with on lots of issues, and then Israel comes up, and all of a sudden uh, it's the one issue that progressives and the left apparently don't get, and we're anti-Semitic or self-loathing on, as opposed to it's the one issue that people are tribalist about because it applies to to their people um, or their perceived people. But um, right. I wanted to also play a little thing that Bill McKibben said. And Bill McKibben is another person who was named by Bernie Sanders. And he's, of course, a, a really brilliant climate scientist and author. And he, he makes a nice point and an interesting point about the, the I- irony or the logic of, of the biography, if you will, the Jewishness of Bernie Sanders. It should be noted that Bernie Sanders is the first non-Christian American ever to win a presidential primary. Um, the first Jewish, the first person with a been bar mitzvah ever to uh, rise to anything like that level in our political life. And I think it really is remarkable that it was he who chose to tell the truth here. So I think that's kind of a fascinating point. I love the idea of like the first person who was simul- who was first bar mitzvah to to really shape language in a in a way that recognizes the human rights of uh, the Palestinians, you know, happen to be a Jew, and of course I just want to give a little shout out because most people just think of of Jews as APAC um, because APAC is a very powerful, well organized lobby. I think of Lieberman. That's another one. Oh God, that's terrible. I mean, he could be right. <laughs> Which Lieberman are we talking about? Joe Lieberman or Avi Gore, who's the uh, and Barbara Streisand? I think about Barbara her Streisand. too. Okay. Well, Gabe always <laughs> thinks about Barbara Streisand for various reasons. Um. Nonstop. You should see uh, the room, my room in my apartment. <laughs> it's so <decoupage>. many collages. <laughs> Deco- it, yeah, decoupaged uh, bar stools <laughs> with Streisand's face all over them. <laughs> and wall-to-wall uh, uh, needlepoints that he's done of Barbara Streisand. But there is Abigail <laughs> Lieberman. He's a great guy who like wants to cut off people's heads. He has that great quote. Um, oh, Lieberman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants he's, to... Yeah. 
You said cut off people's I, heads? I believe, I believe it was something about cutting. It was to cut off heads with an axe. He said chop them off with an axe was the language that he <laughs> What was it? It was, it was so great. It was a beautiful moment of ISIS-Israeli solidarity. <laughs> Um, I really liked it. Uh, what was it? It was such an, it was, oh wait, here we go. Here we got it. Statement towards Arab members of Knesset. He said, um, that, uh, that heads of Nazi regime along with their collaborators were executed. I hope this will be the fate of the collaborators in the Knesset. Um, but where's the one he oh, said I, about, I didn't even know he said that. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. like another, that, that, that guy, man, he's just full of one-liners, isn't he? I know. We should make a, like a, a, a sitcom out of him. His character. Right? You know he used to be a bouncer. Stop it. I'm not joking because he's from the Soviet Union. Yeah. He like immigrated from the Soviet Union and then became a bouncer in Israel before he entered politics. At an LGBTQ club <laughs> yeah, right. where the dance oh, floor is right. made up of Palestinian <laughs> skin. Okay, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Otherwise, how would it be environmentally friendly Exactly. Again? Yeah, they don't waste any resources. <laughs> it's all natural. It's organic. Keep um, it green. Right. But he does look like a bouncer, <laughs> and his policies are kind of bouncerish. And here's the quote that we were talking about. Um, Whoever is with us should get everything. Whoever is against us, there's nothing else to do. Uh, oh, he's Soviet, not Soviet Union, not Israeli, but I can't. Whatever is with us should get everything. Whoever <laughs> is against, there's nothing else to do. We have to lift up an X and remove his head. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, we won't survive here. There is no reason that Um Al-Fam will be part of Israel. Um, oh my God, that was a brilliant accent. I'm sorry, I'm just like, your accent was really cool. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that I was just, a really good, I mean, I think it was. Yeah, I, I gotta work on it. Maybe. I gotta say, I was teleported to Brighton Beach. <laughs> I was eating pickled watermelon and listening Ooh, to a, a sexy right waitress. Sexy, named Ivana. <laughs> Ivania, um, <laughs> Ivania on 42nd Street. You know, I, I thought that we could talk a little bit because Zagvis is Lebanese American, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and a really interesting thing about the, the way that the media portrayed Bernie's uh, nominations and namings to this Democratic Platform Committee um, is that according to the headlines and, and of course our, our most beloved Washington Post, Sanders wins greater stand in Democratic platform names pro Palestinian activists. For the first couple of paragraphs, they don't actually mention that Keith Ellison, who you may remember, listeners, as being a member of Congress, uh, they don't mention him. It's you have to go a bunch of, of uh, paragraphs down before you get to any of the other people he named. But right. um, and these are this is like this is like the mainstream press. This isn't just like Israeli. Right. Like this is this isn't like the Israeli American press. This is Ex like. This is like the Washington Post headline, I think, said that. Yeah, this is the Washington Post, exactly. And this, nor is this, we should should also clarify, it's not like we're talking about the Daily News, which um, <laughs> had probably one of the best unintentional self-parodies about Bernie Sanders being wrong on Israel. Uh, it was called Bernie Just Doesn't Get It on Israel. And I think w one of the greatest quotes about it is that we should be fearful of his commitment to being even-handed. Oh, yeah. that was that was that was funny. Yeah, I, I think I saw that one. That was almost as funny as Michael Oren, who's a former American, uh, gave us the citizenship to become an Israeli ambassador and now is an Israeli lawmaker, accusing Bernie Sanders of a blood libel. That was my favorite. Oh, how did he do that? He did he actually oh, say he, we uh, drink the blood of Christian <laughs> babies or imply it? Oh no, he 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 straight up was like Bernie Sanders, like um, he engaged in a blood libel because when Sanders like. Um, 
fumbled on like the number like he confused the number that were killed in the number of people killed in Gaza with the number of people injured mm. and then he like in his daily news interview and then he immediately like once he was corrected was like oh yeah right you're right right and that was it and then everybody was like oh my god yeah and uh, immediately like all these israeli lawmakers were like blood libel there was another israeli lawmaker uh, Yair Lapid who accused Bernie Sanders of colluding with Hamas we all know um, that he does. Let's be honest. We're yeah, friends. I mean, we can admit obviously. it. Obviously, yeah. We're not a mixed company. <laughs> we might as well admit it. But yeah, the, the 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 Daily News thing that I loved was Bernie Sanders fancies himself a brave truth teller by decrying Israel's response to Hamas terrorism and promising to sympathize with Palestinians should he win the oh White House. God. Literally, his bad move <laughs> is promising to sympathize with Palestinians. That's the Daily News is really. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that, that like the Daily News. Um, is like, I mean, they they literally came out hard for Hillary Clinton. I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure that they, I mean, they're the ones that he had the interview with right. when they like made a huge deal about it, where they like grilled him. And then you watch the interview, you like saw the interview with Clinton, where they asked her like one hard question. And I'm pretty sure it was like Juan Gonzalez from it Democracy was. It Now was who asked him. Yeah. Earlier this week, the former Secretary of State publicly defended her role in the 2009 coup in Honduras when the military seized democratically elected President Manuel Zelaya in the middle of the night to post him and sent him into exile. Since the coup, Honduras has become one of the most violent places in the world. Clinton was asked about Honduras during a meeting with the New York Daily News editorial board on Saturday. The question was posed by Democracy Now!'s Juan Gonzalez. Secretary Clinton, I'd like to ask you if I can about um, Latin America. Yes, Juan. Uh, yes. And uh, the policy specifically that you were directly involved in, the coup in Honduras. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, in 2009, mm -hmm. the military overthrew President Zelaya. Right. Uh, there was a period there where the OAS was trying to isolate the regime. Uh, but the, um, apparently some of the emails that have come out as a result of State Department releases show that some of your top aides were urging you to declare the military coup, cut off U.S. aid. Uh, you didn't do that. Mm -hmm. You uh, ended up negotiating with uh, Oscar Arias a deal mm -hmm. for new right. elections. Uh, but the situation in Honduras has continued to deteriorate. There's been right. 300 people killed by government forces. <clears throat> all these children fleeing and mothers from Honduras over the border into the United States. And just a few weeks ago, one of the leading environmental uh, uh, activists, uh, Berta Cáceres, was assassinated right. in her home. Right. Do you have any concerns about the role that you played uh, in that particular situation, even not necessarily being in agreement with your top aides in the State Department? Well, let me again try to put this in context. The national legislature in Honduras and the national judiciary actually followed the law in removing President Zelaya. Now, I didn't like the way it looked or the way they did it, but they had a very strong argument that they had followed the Constitution and the legal precedents. And as you know, they really undercut their argument by spiriting him out of the country in his pajamas, where they sent, you know, the military to, you know, take him out of his bed and get him out of the country. So this was, this began as a very, uh, you know, mixed and difficult situation. If the United States government declares a coup, you immediately have to shut off all aid, including humanitarian aid, um, the Agency for International Development aid, uh, the support that we were providing at that time for a lot of very poor people. 
and that triggers a legal necessity. There's no way to get around it. So our assessment was we will just make the situation worse by punishing the Honduran people if we declare a coup and we immediately have to stop all aid for uh, the people, but we should slow walk and try to stop anything that the government could take advantage of without calling it a coup. So you're right. I worked very hard with leaders in the region and got Oscar Arias, the Nobel Prize winner, to take the lead <clears throat> on trying to broker a uh, resolution without bloodshed. And that was very important to us that, you know, Zelaya had friends and allies, not just in uh, Honduras, but in some of the neighboring countries like Nicaragua and that we could have had a terrible civil war that would have been uh, uh, just terrifying in its loss of life. Juan later wrote about the exchange in a column for The Daily News titled, Clinton's Policy Was a Latin American Crime Story. She basically lied and said that it was not a military coup, it was just a non-military coup, and she got nothing for that. I mean, absolutely nothing. We have to have Greg no Randon back on. No, no, no big articles. No, and the fact she that— Actually, she not only she said the 100 military coup was, coup was okay, she, like, totally denied responsibility for the violence that killed Berta Caceres. Oh, yeah, nev nothing like, she just that. like yeah. And Berta Cáceres named her specifically as someone who was responsible for it. Did uh, she write down on a piece of paper, if I end up dead, no, she, you by, know that Hillary Clinton is the one no, that did it? No, she gave an interview, no, like, she, yeah. on video. Yeah. 2014, um, the Honduran environmental activist Berta Cáceres spoke about Hillary Clinton's role in the 2009 coup. This is the woman who was assassinated last week in La Esperanza, Honduras. But she spoke about Hillary Clinton's role in the 2009 coup with the Argentine TV program Resumen Latinoamericano. We're coming out of a coup that we can't put behind us. We can't reverse it. It just kept going. And after, there was the issue of the elections. The same Hillary Clinton, in her book, Hard Choices, practically said what was going to happen in Honduras. This demonstrates the meddling of North Americans in our country. The return of the president, Mel Zelaya, became a secondary issue. There were going to be elections in Honduras. And he or she, Clinton, recognized that they didn't permit Mel Zelaya's return to the presidency. There were going to be elections. And the international community, officials, the government, the grand majority accepted this, even though we warned this was going to be very dangerous and that it would permit a barbarity, not only in Honduras, but in the rest of the continent. And we've been witnesses to this. Rania, you unwittingly have become kind of the stage uh, mother of your niece who is a very outspoken critic of Hillary Clinton. Tell us a little bit about your nine-year-old uh, niece, Eva, who I wrote about at Raw Story, by the way, so you can read up on her more. But She was know. like, she was thrilled. She was like, oh, my God, I'm famous. Oh, my God, that's so great. <laughs> well, we got to have... It was really funny. Let's see. Uh, the Katie Halper Show is all about breaking uh, uh, young talent, yeah. making new child stars. Yeah. The world doesn't have enough child stars. They it always don't. turns out well for them. Yeah, so. it does. Jean-Benet Ramsey. Right. That's what we're advocating. Sorry. Oh, God. Oh, oh that God. was terrible. Okay, that was, getting really that dark. Was, I know, too dark. <laughs> no, but Eva's not going to—don't worry. Eva's raised by great people. None of that. Um, it's not going to go to their heads that she's going viral now? No, no, no. It's, I have three sisters, and they all—like, two of them have kids, so— right. Yeah, we're big, this big Lebanese-American family, you could say. My parents came here, like, they immigrated here um, just as the Civil War in Lebanon got started in the 70s. But, you know, I have a lot of nephews and nieces, and she, for some reason, she's just, like, really into this stuff. Right. 
because um, she saw this, she saw a debate between Bernie and Hillary. And this is uh, Rania's niece pretending to be Hillary Clinton debating Bernie. Now back to the Democratic debate. Treating them like human beings doesn't mean I'm anti-Israel. What's your total man? How about Wall Street donations? The only reason I'm taking money from Wall Street is because 9 11 happened there. 9 11 is bad. What did that do? Do you dare question my leadership? I just did. About immigration. Children immigrants are just walking around. <laughs> And we have to take them out. <coughs> There's so many problems. We had to destroy Honduras because I get money. We had to destroy Libya because I get money. Children are just coming along, pitter pattering against my property, coming from wars and saying, I want to live here. They do not have the right to live in my country. All the immigrant children should leave. All of you super predators should just. Leave! You should leave. You should leave. <laughs> we'll be back. Go to commercials. Thank you so much, Rania. Rania Kalik, you can find her at Rania Kalik on Twitter. We want to have you back on. We want to have Eva on. Yeah, great to be on with you. Thanks for coming. Bye. Bye. Bye.